Blog Talk Radio. I'm Don Henderson, our normal host around the country right now. We'll be chatting with him on a number of occasions and a number of sports throughout the program. Roy Cummings, of course, is in hot camp of Florida, and uh, there is a hotter baseball team in America than the Rays. We'll chat about that a little bit. Of course, uh, 
Roger Henner in Atlanta, Georgia. We'll talk about what's happening down there. The Braves are off to a relatively good start as well. A lot of other things, the draft coming up, hockey on top of the line, the playoffs getting ready to go. So uh, before we do that, let's get our commander-in-chief, Mr. Carroll, our producer, executive producer on tap. We have a dedication to start the program. Frank? Yeah, Dennis, uh, this, Dennis is a, a real thrill for everybody uh, in the Philadelphia area. Um, as you remember, uh, uh, Dick Perry uh, put a lot of young guys from Villanova into the NFL, <clears throat> Kevin Riley and to be one of them, uh, and a lot of uh, other good guys. Uh, then came along uh, 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 one of the best basketball coaches in, in the United States, who turned around and put year after year put guys into the uh, NBA. Now, for the first time in the history of uh, Villanova University, we have a young lady, uh, Maddie Seacrest, uh, who got was first choice by the um, uh, Houston, I'm sorry, the Dallas Wings. So we want to congratulate her. She's from Poughkeepsie, New York, originally, but it went four years to to the University of uh, Villanova. It's a shame she didn't get to a real school like St. Joe's, but that's okay. We won't hold that against her. But, uh, <laughs> All Maddie, right, Frank, we'll we, certainly keep that one in mind. And uh, Roy, yeah. as we go down to you in Tampa, uh, the uh, the Rays on an unbelievable winning streak to start the season. They were up three nothing until a minute ago. The the uh, Red Sox have just scored a run to make it three one. Uh, but right now the Rays are out of the shoot. In a, in a list unheard of. Yeah, they really are. It's uh, it's really quite amazing. Um, well, I mean, look, they've had a little bit of help from the schedule. Um, you have to you have to look at that and say that they started off against three of the worst teams in baseball, uh, taking on Detroit, Washington, and Oakland. But um, you know what? They've done the same thing against the Red Sox now, which uh, is not in that category. Um, they're as good as uh, as anyone I think the Red Sox can be, possibly. We'll see. But um, at the end of the day, I mean, Shane McClanahan shut them down yesterday, and today you got a rookie in there, Taj Bradley, and they're winning again. So, you know, the Rays have a way of playing baseball, and it's been proved, uh, it's proved over the last uh, several years that it works. Um, you know, they do things differently. Uh, they kind of introduced the, uh, the opener, uh, which they used once in this streak already. Um, they, they kind of developed the uh, the super utility man which almost every team has now um they're still using those kind of guys they're you know they're big on uh position flexibility that kind of thing and it just works for them and right now um they're just playing as good a baseball as you can i mean timely hitting it's you know it's it's the old baseball stuff they're, they're not doing anything that's that's different than anybody else they're just doing it better than everybody else it's timely hitting it's good defense it's superb pitching um, and that's, you know, that's how you win baseball games. You, you hit time, you, you get timely hits, good defense and superb pitching. And you're going to win uh, more games than you lose. And right now the Rays are just doing it consistently. And, uh, uh, the way they're going, um, you know, things tend to even out in baseball, but boy, oh boy, this, uh, this could really put them ahead of the pace for everybody. Uh, it, again, the way this team is built, uh, it's kind of hard for them to really go through difficult, long losing streaks. Um, they might not hit well, but at the end of the day, they're going to pitch it well and they're going to they're going to catch it. And it's uh, when you do that, uh, you avoid those three, four, five, six game slumps, and uh, they they could be putting themselves way out ahead of everyone else uh, in the race for the uh, AL East. 
Well, they went up against Sale tonight, which was really, uh, I had seen him pitch twice in spring training uh, down here against the Orioles, and he had not pitched well at all, giving up a lot of home runs. And that's exactly what he did tonight. He gave up a three-run home run uh, to give the uh, Rays a, a three-to-nothing lead. Unfortunately for him, he had thrown 57 pitches five days ago against Detroit unsuccessfully, and then he threw 31 pitches in the first inning of this game. And uh, so he is really struggling to try to get back into form. Roger, your Atlanta Braves are doing a good job, no question about that. And the Philadelphia Phillies had a very, very tough day in 10 innings at Citizens Bank Park. Well, they certainly did, and I guess uh, the, uh, they've only uh, won, they only won against Miami when um, my son, my grandsons, and I were there on Monday night. So I guess we need to go to more more games. <laughs> but uh, that was a great game to watch because they uh, got all those runs and uh, they uh, couldn't stop. And I said we need to uh, save some of those for the next uh, couple of games, which was true. Uh, they just, uh, they're having their problems, the Phillies are. The Braves, uh, uh, you know, and, and listen, Braves have some uh, health issues too, some injuries. So, uh, but uh, they are, in my opinion, they're definitely the uh, uh, cream of the crop in the National League East uh, over the Mets, the Phillies, and anybody else. So, uh, but, you know, it's early in the season. Only time will tell, and uh, we'll, we'll just wait and see. I'll, I'll tell you, Roy, Uh, That point that you made about the competition of the Rays, that's basically what everybody's saying, which I don't think is fair because I love the way they play, as do all of us on the show, and uh, they really do a terrific job, and they're not given enough credit. But I heard Chris Russo today uh, talk about the lack of competition uh, that they have played. And I think the last time – I think he mentioned that anybody had done, I think the Dodgers did 10 uh, way back. And uh, I think the Brewers did it uh, 10 or 11. And that's about it. You know, they're they're in a class uh, really unique as far as that uh, opening season stretch uh, goes. Joel Sherman did a great piece in the New York Post yesterday, uh, really accenting uh, – what Roy was talking about, uh, because if you look at the run differential and you look at how bad the bad teams are, uh, he yeah. named three of them, uh, but you got also got to throw Cincinnati and Pittsburgh's a little bit better, but they're still struggling. But, Roy, you were exactly right. I mean, uh, they were fortunate enough to play a lot of the bad teams, and the run differential between them and what's happening in the rest of the uh, the race is unbelievable. Yeah, and, and you know, look, I, I'm not a fan of you know people uh, disparaging you know records like this, and and look, I obviously fall into the category, and uh, you know, it's, it's they're major league teams, and they're they're facing what you know the schedule is the schedule, and and that's what it is. But I mean, you, you look at Oakland, and and you know they've got a, a starting uh, staff ERA right now over nine. Um, you know, a lot of that has to do with the fact that they just got done facing the Rays. Maybe that's part of it. Um, but you know the, the Tigers have been trying to figure out what they're what they're trying to do with their lineup for a couple of years now. They're clearly not uh, they haven't figured it out yet. Um, Washington Nationals have just excelled at getting rid of the best players in baseball consistently. I mean, when you get rid of you know Trey Turner and uh, Juan Soto and you know those kind of guys, uh, Max Scherzer, you just go on down the list. Uh, you know, there's not much left over, and they're basically fielding a, a team full of backups and AAA players and. 
you know, again, it's it's up to teams like the Rays to take advantage of that. Uh, if they lose those games, people are saying, you know, what's wrong with the Rays? But um, I'm not saying anything's wrong with them. There, there's nothing wrong. There's obviously everything is right with them right now, and they're they're just playing at a, at an extremely high level. And you know, their brand of baseball again right now uh, is going to beat up on teams like that. Um, is it going to beat up on teams like the Red Sox, Yankees, and uh, uh, you know, Texas Rangers? We'll we'll see. Um, we're seeing it now, and it's still working. Um, but again, you know, Chris Sale doesn't look like the Chris Sale that we saw three, you know, five years ago. Um, you know, again, this is the game that this is the schedule. These are the people they're throwing out there. Uh, let's see how far it goes. Right now, uh, there's nobody playing better baseball than the Rays, and it, it comes. It really just comes down to that. Well, I think too. Uh, we'll jump out of the baseball uh, scene for just a couple of moments because we're on the very edge of. Uh, not only the National Football League draft, but more importantly, on the National Hockey League playoffs. So, uh, Roger, uh, one note I would make, uh, the, the uh, Islanders lost the game last night, and uh, that, that really cost them right, right on the cusp now, trying to get in and out. They need a little help from the opposition. Uh, but right now, uh, the Devils are in in good shape. The Rangers are in good shape. And surprisingly to me, uh, they set the line yesterday, and the Lightning are 14 to one. If you want to bet on the Lightning to continue on toward the Stanley Cup playoffs, uh, I thought that may have been a little bit of a high number. But then when I saw the teams that they're going to have to play to move up, starting with Toronto, as we all knew, they were going to be playing the Maple Leafs right from the very beginning. But if they win that series, they're really in hot water. So uh, we'll see what you two guys think about the start of the Stanley Cup playoffs, Roger. Well, I did I hear or read that uh, the uh, Islanders can make it in? Uh, they can. The, uh, they can still make it, but they need help. Yeah, they need to win, and I think Pittsburgh needs to lose or uh, something like that. But Correct. Uh, it, it, I mean, it's exciting that it's uh, it's down to the wire. I mean, this is what you want. And, you know, I, I've heard a number of people saying that the Stanley Cups pl- Cup playoffs are the best postseason in sports. And I think there's a lot to that because you get a hot goalie, and boy, I'll tell you, it can change everything. And I know uh, you and Roy and Frank, uh, well, I'm sure we concur with that. Absolutely. Boy, Red Sox just, pulled a, just pulled a rock. Unbelievable. Uh, sacrifice button with nobody covering first yeah. base at all. Yeah. Oh, my God. Like, uh, like I said, guys, I mean, there, there's a little bit of, you know, yeah, what, what Don's referring to, if anybody's listening and not watching, is that uh, the, the, the Rays with runners on first and third just tried to execute a, uh, a sacrifice bunt. Basically, it didn't look like it was a squeeze. Um, maybe the runner no. on third was coming home if uh, if it wasn't, uh, uh, if, the, if the bunt was uh, – if they tried to make a play at first or second or something. But at the end of the day, uh, the Rays just put a bunt down in, in perfect position, and Brujan, a speedy uh, player, beat it, beat the throw to first. No throw was made, actually, by Chris Sale. I mean, he's a, Nobody look, was there. When things are going your way, right, nobody covered first. When things are going your way, they go your way. And uh, this is a perfect example. They're showing a replay right now, and uh, – uh, the second baseman was uh, kind of in double play uh, position. I don't know that he he certainly probably didn't expect this to, to this to come. And you know, again, good good by the Rays for 
for trying to figure this out. Uh, the runner on third to self definitely was about halfway down the line, but stopped when uh, the ball was fielded by the pitcher. But nobody at first base to cover. So, you know what? Things are going their way. They're getting the bounces. They're getting the breaks. And uh, that's how you win ball games uh, consistently. Not, usually not this consistently, but uh, it's how you win. <laughs> but back to the Stanley Well, he was so close to second base, he couldn't get over to first base in time to cover anyway, so they got the bases loaded. But getting back to hockey now because we're getting into the real – nitty-gritty of the hockey world, and as I said, if the Devils, or not Devils, but the Islanders had won last night, they would have been in uh, in real good shape to lock in to make sure that the Devils, the Rangers, and the Islanders all got into the playoffs. Uh, now it's uh, it's still a question mark for that uh, for the Islanders. But, Roy, uh, your expertise, you cover them since day one. Uh, when the uh, Lightning first came to Sarasota, Florida, or to uh, Tampa, Florida, and uh, – They've had a heck of a run the last four years or so. Can they can they put it together again? Well, it's a great question because, you know, you look at the history of it and you say, absolutely. Maybe the Lightning can, you know, they, they can certainly rev it up here come playoff time. It's what they do. It's what they've done over the last four, you know, four years plus. Uh, can they do it this year? Um, boy, it's a good question because right now the Lightning are below 500 over the course of their last 20-some games. Basically, you know, since the beginning of the year, and uh, it's it's been tough for them of late. They've lost a lot of games, and uh, last and night they lost especially in New York, they had a terrible weekend in New York. They got butchered. Yeah, yeah, and and what you saw in New York is pretty much what we have seen of these guys. Uh, you know, a good part of the last third of the season here, and um, it has not looked, you know, really good. Um, it's not they don't see they're not playing poorly, but they're just getting beat by other teams that, that they probably shouldn't get beat by at times. And, um, you know, last night they lost to uh, to Toronto uh, in a game that was fairly meaningless. I mean, the, the, the positions are decided in terms of the playoffs. But uh, Toronto didn't have Mitch Marner in the lineup. They didn't have Austin Matthews in the lineup. They didn't have uh, their best goaltender in the lineup. The Lightning had Vasilevsky in the lineup and had everybody going, but it wasn't good enough. And, uh, you know, that, that series is coming up uh, – uh, you know, next week, and uh, it's going to be a good one. Uh, I, I can see why the Lightning are the uh, a bit of a long shot right now to get to the Stanley Cup Finals. I see it. Uh, it makes sense to me because, he's, as you said, not only do you start with Toronto, which absolutely has to win this series. If they don't win this series, uh, they'll break up that team. I don't know where Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, uh, John Tavares, I, I don't know where they end up. Um, but you've already seen them move some pieces uh, at the trade deadline. Uh, you know, guys like Morgan Riley, we'll, we'll see what happens. And um, much more, I think, will be let go, and they'll probably, you know, break this team up a bit because they'll probably end up moving the coach and the general manager if they don't win. So a lot could be changing here in Toronto. So they really, really uh, need this series, uh, not just to break a, a longstanding uh, playoff slump, but, uh, you know, they just they just need to, to, to do it to, in some cases for people to save their jobs. So we'll see what uh, what they bring to Tampa. But Tampa does have this uh, this knack for uh, turning it on when they have to. They've done it in the past. Uh, if they do it again uh, this year, uh, it shouldn't surprise anybody. It won't surprise me. Um, but you're right. They've got a, a difficult road after that because at some point you're probably going to face the Bruins, probably going to face Carolina. Uh, it's going to be tough. Bruins could we'll be see second. What, uh, see where they go. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Very good chance of it. Hey, Roy, Roy, I got a question for you. In watching the last four or five games uh, closely, I I see 
you seem to see there's there, there's a, a weakness to Vasilevsky on the right side, somewhere between his belt line and his elbow, and that's where they keep shooting and He's missing the ball. They're just going right. That puck is going right through. Uh, has anybody else noticed that? Well, I have, yes, and I think others have too because uh, if you watch a uh, national broadcast when they've played, it's been pointed out, not necessarily pointed out all the time by the home guys. In fact, uh, really kind of just passed over by them. But um, if you watch uh, the opposing team's broadcast or a national broadcast of the Lightning, uh, they've seen it too. And I don't know if there's an injury there. You know, if there was, I, I, I'm surprised that Vasilevsky played last night. Uh, because you, you, it's something you would think that you you want to kind of cover. Um, I don't think it has anything. I mean, I, I, I'll be shocked. I mean, I don't think it's it's angles. I don't think it's that. But you do start to wonder if, you know, there's something on, you know, with his shoulder, with his arm, uh, something, somehow, that's uh, keeping him from being as quick uh, on that side, that stick side there, uh, because it's it's just not like him. Um, but, again, uh, you know, we'll see. Uh it's something that definitely has to be corrected because if someone has finally found the, uh, you know, the fatal flaw, the, the Achilles heel for Andre Vasilevsky, that's going to be really tough because he is by far the, the Lightning's best player. Um, look, they've got a, you know, 50 goal scorer in, in, uh, in uh, Braden Point. Stamkos is a Hall of Famer. Victor Hedman's going to the Hall of Fame. They've got tremendous players. They've, they've done what they need to do in the, uh, the trade deadline, get a little bit tougher a little bit better defensively. Tanner Janot is a, a really nice pickup. I like what they've done. Uh, the, the pickups from last year are, are working out just fine. Nick Paul, Brandon Hagel. Um, you know, it's a darn good team, darn good team. But um, every team's got a vulnerability. And if uh, they finally found one in uh, Andre Vasilevsky, well, it's going to make for a very interesting playoff run for the Lightning. So we'll see. It's a great point uh, and a really good question, uh, Frank. Really good question. <laughs> Go to it, Roger. Well, you know, we got to talk a little bit about the draft coming up. Hard to believe, uh, what, two weeks, I guess, uh, from Thursday, from tomorrow night, right? And the first uh, round. Um, the, uh, what do you think, Roy, uh, the, that the uh, Bucks? what do you think they'll be doing in the first round? Do you have any idea? Yeah, I, I really think uh, I'll be very, very surprised if they don't concentrate really hard in the first round on uh, the offensive line, pr- primarily a tackle. Um, you know, it, it looks like there, there's a plan in place to, to possibly move Tristan Wirfs to left tackle, which allows them to draft a right tackle, and you can usually get a pretty darn good one uh, in the spot that they're in, uh, you know, two-thirds of the way down through the draft. Um, so they'll, they're picking 18th, I believe. So, um, I, I, they're right in a really good spot for what they need and they should be able to get a starting caliber tackle, be it right or left side. Um, you know, with the first round pick, I would think with the second and third round picks, you stick with the offensive line or the defensive line. The, the, the area where the bucks need to really fortify themselves the most is, is in the trenches. Um, they need, they need help at guard. Uh, they, they need a defensive end. Um, you know, the other thing that you have to watch for with the Bucks all the time under, uh, with Jason Light is uh, is trading out of the spot. Uh, I, they're not really too big on trading up in the first round. They, they'll do that in the second and third. Um, but they're more likely to trade down in the first round 
if they're confident that uh, a player that they like uh, can be there for them, they try to add assets. Uh, won't be surprised at all if that happens. Uh, one thing that uh, you do have to, you know, consider though, and I, I don't think it's going to have much of an effect on the draft. I really don't. Um, their their best linebacker right now, Devin White, um, has asked for a trade. You know, he's making 11 points. He's, he's scheduled to make 11.7 million dollars uh, this year in the fifth year of his contract. Um, you know, he's not happy with that number. He wants more. Um, he probably he probably deserves more. Uh, the going rate for a quarterback, of, or quarterback, a linebacker of his uh, his ilk, uh, is somewhere in the sixteen, seventeen, eighteen million dollar range. Um, you know, he'd like to get that sooner rather than later. Uh, it's interesting that he's asked for a trade because I you look, I think he understands that the Bucks are in a situation where they can't put a whole lot of money, you know, towards assets right now because they're they're just barely under the cap. Not a lot of room to, to maneuver there, but uh, the fact that he wants more and uh, has made a trade request tells you that, you know, maybe they've reached an impasse already in those negotiations. Maybe something was said in uh, negotiations that uh, uh, went the wrong way, was taken wrong. I don't know. It's uh, it's it, it, it's not a good situation to have uh, arguably your best defender um, asking for a trade when the defense is really what you're going to have to rely on this year more than anything, I think, to uh, to be competitive. Uh, it's a good defense. Devin White's one of the guys who makes it good, makes it special. And if he's not around, the Bucks have uh, big problems. But I don't think the Bucks, you know, with a year left on the contract, they've got all the control, all the leverage. Um, I, I don't think they'll, uh, they'll let that uh, persuade them one way or the other. But you know what? They tend to draft linebackers and usually draft them pretty early. It could be part of their plan as well to uh, – to, to pick one up uh, anyway, so we'll see how it goes. Roy, I agree and disagree. I think, uh, number one, I, I, I think that they're going to trade down. I agree with that point that you made. But secondly, uh, I think they're going to go for defensive secondary. Uh, they're in real trouble in the corners and safeties. So I think uh, they're going to trade down because it's a lot easier to pick up corners and safeties than it is to, uh, to get that primary, uh, say, left tackle or whatever you're looking for. So I look at it in that direction. I think they're going to go defense like you do, but I think they're going to go secondary and trade down. Roger? Well, I I would agree with that, Don. Uh, And I I think that, uh, you know, we'll know. I think there's going to be a lot of movement with teams uh, within the next uh, week or, you know, or two weeks before the draft. I I just sense that that's going to happen. And, um, with a lot of the teams. I mean, the Eagles have two uh, draft picks in that first round. Uh, you know, you'll have to see what they're going to do. I mean, they, they may uh, go down, they may go up a little bit, you know, or they may just go for some additional inventory in the future. Uh, you know, there's, I think it's going to be a very interesting uh, uh, time for the next uh, next two weeks. Roy, the other thing you touched on, which is really important, is the cap. Uh, you know, they're, they were strangled. They were in a strangled position, uh, you know, three weeks ago. Uh, they, you know, they made some dramatic cuts, but uh, they're still not in great shape to have money to sign people. No, they're not, which, again, it's one of the things that kind of surprises you about uh, Devin White's situation and the, the trade request. Uh, you know, it, it's, these things are usually money-oriented uh, or playing time-oriented. Well, we know Devin White's not losing any playing time. He's out there every every down, so – 
um, you know, despite the fact that he's not exceptional in coverage, but he's out there. Um, you know, so it's got to be a money thing, and, and, you know, he's got to look at it and say, look, you know, I mean, uh, it, it is what it is. I mean, they, right. you want a Super Bowl, and this is sometimes the price you have to pay. Sooner or later, somebody at some point probably has to sacrifice a little bit of salary in order to keep the team competitive. And um, maybe Devin White doesn't want to be a part of that scenario. I, I'm not sure, but you're right. Uh, the Bucks are in very tough cap, cap space. Uh, another reason why, as Don, you, you said, and, you know, I suggested it could happen, uh, another reason to possibly trade down. Um, just to alleviate a little bit of money here and there, uh, you know, the 18th pick is uh, going to cost you a little bit more than the 25th or 26th. So, you know, we'll see what happens. But again, you know, I still think that I think they will probably like where they are at 18 for a, for a lot of reasons. I mean, it gives them a lot of flexibility. They can stay there and pick a guy that's just certainly going to help them right away, uh, move down, pick another guy. Um, so we'll see how it all shakes out. But, um, you know, wouldn't be surprised at all if, uh, uh, some movement from them, uh, but yeah, freeing up cap space, boy, that's uh, that's a tough tough deal when you're uh, you know as tight against the cap as the Bucks are right now. So we'll see where it goes, but uh, they got some work to do, no doubt. Roy, thank you very very much for the first half hour. As always, we love it. Uh, whether it's baseball, hockey, football, whatever we have to talk about, you're right on top of the situation. Thank you so very very much. We'll do it again next week. Have a great Thanks week, for having me, guys. I appreciate it. All right, Thanks, take bro. care. Have a great week, guys. Take care. Steve Kinsella is on the line right now. He's our backup for baseball because Steve is a baseball expert, a statistical analysis of all baseball, and we love to talk to him about the game. Right now, the Red Sox are making a little bit of a run. It's 6-3 down on the top of the fifth inning. Red Sox have just scored a couple uh, after uh, the Rays had scored three to make it uh, – Six to one, but now it's six to three in the top of the fifth inning. And Steve, uh, a lot of baseball to talk about, and a lot of it right in your backyard in Tampa, Florida. Yeah, it's been a it's been a fun beginning of the year. You know, it's uh, a lot of home runs, some great pitching, and, a, and and some very solid defense. So it's it's like looking like the Rays of 2021 again. Roger. Well, we talked about that earlier with uh, Roy, Steve, and uh, it is amazing uh, the run that the uh, Rays have. Uh, a lot of people, as we said, are not giving them the credit that uh, I think they're due because of the competition that they've uh, played. Um, you know, but, you know, you're there all the time. What's your opinion about this uh, beautiful run at the beginning of the year? Well, it's, you know, I mean, the competition hasn't been stiff, but, you know, you have to beat whoever's on your schedule. You know, they, the Rays swept the Tigers, and the Tigers left Tampa Bay and went to Houston and took two out of three. You know, so it happens. You know, you can easily fall. Last year at this time, uh, the Rays lost three of four to the Oakland A's at home. Two years ago in 21, when they were a much better team, they lost three of four to a struggling Texas team about the same time of the year so as we all know you you get you got teams on your schedule and you just have to play them um and you have to beat them and the good teams will beat the bad teams and then go you know maybe go a little bit over 500 against the head-to-head against a good team so it's good to see the Rays handling business against teams that they should beat were you a little steve a little bit surprised at the run differential between uh five of the clubs that they played you know whether it be miami detroit uh, what the situation is when you look at 
At one point, well, I think it was uh, when they were on at nine, nine consecutive days before two nights ago, uh, they had like 46. They were plus 46 in runs over the teams they had played. I mean, are the teams they're playing that bad? Uh, Joel Joel seems to think they are. In the New York Post, he he thinks that the the, uh, the bottom of the barrel because of the money situation right now, that there's such a disparity that this is what's showing up now, and especially with what's happening with the Rays. Well, I'll leave the money part of it alone because, uh, you know, I, I'm down here in Tampa Bay where it's not about money and you put together a good product. Um, I, I won't go there. But, um, look, Oakland um, is a bad team right now in transition. There's Terrible. no doubt about it. You know, and they, uh, you know, they – they expected this, you know, when you get rid of Montas and Bassett and Manea and Olsen and Chapman, um, pretty much overnight you get, and you know, you just basically get rid of all those guys. You expect this. Um, Detroit's been in, been been more snake bit than in, than injured, you know, snake bit by injury the last two years to a to an unbelievable degree. It's not about money. They went out and signed Javi Baez. They signed Eduardo Rodriguez. They went and traded for Austin Meadows. Um, they they put money into that team at Jonathan Scope, but they've been hurt. Casey Mize is on the IL. They keep losing um, pitchers left and right to um, uh, to Tommy John surgery, and right now they, you know, uh, Austin Meadows is looking like his old self to open the year, and then he just hit the IL again with anxiety. And then you take a look at the Washington Nationals, and we can go down the litany of players that that they have moved off of. You know, Juan Soto and and Anthony Rendon, you know, and the guys that are still there, uh, you know, guys like Steven Strasburg haven't pitched in three years, you know, or Patrick Corbin hasn't been good in three years. So those are bad teams. Oakland's a bad team. Detroit's a bad team. And Washington's a bad team. All for different reasons. uh, yeah, Cincinnati's an okay team. You know, they're not as bad as those three. They they're a little bit ahead of the game. You know, when they traded Luis Castillo and, Juan Suarez and Jesse Winker, um, they pulled a little bit of talent back that was a little bit further along. You know, they have Hunter Green and Nick Lodolo. Um, they've they've popped those two guys up there. Um, they've they've got you know T.J. Friedel and Jake Fraley aren't aren't really bad players. And then they've got you know some of the top prospects in the game that are kind of double A, triple A. You know, Spencer Steers up there, and then you've got. Um, you've got a kid named Ellie De La Cruz, a shortstop. You got to get another, another very competent guy in Matt McLean. Um, so they they actually have a nice little uh, foundation. But the other ones we talked about are bad teams that you know the Rays exposed a little bit more than uh, they had hoped this early in the year. But those are three really bad teams. Roger, what do you think of the Oakland uh, Athletics, Steve? I mean, uh, the you know some. People think they shouldn't even be in the major leagues. I mean, it's so bad. But uh, what's their future look like? Well, they don't have, like, a really great farm system right now. And here's the thing about the A's, and I I was talking to someone about this, and, you know, Joe Madden used to always say to us, um, the, the thing about baseball is you have to do simple better, you know. you got to keep yourself in games. We saw it against the A's. They did do simple better. They hit batters. They walked batters. They kicked the ball around the infield, and it doesn't show up in the air column. They had they had opportunities to turn double plays and didn't. They had opportunities to throw to the right base and they didn't. 
you add it all up, and that's what their issue is right now. Uh, it's hard to get a bead on the kind of talent they have overall on that team because it's not a young team. Go, let's go around that infield. Jace Peterson has plenty of plate appearances. Almedes Diaz does. Tony Kemp does. And Jesus Aguilar does. Those are four guys that aren't young. You know, Ramon Laureano's not a young guy. I mean, they have guys on that team that have experience that should be able to settle things down and help some of the young kids out. It just hasn't translated. On the starting side, they don't have anything right now. James Caprellian's about the best starter they have, um, and and that's kind of a reach right now. So they've got a ways to go. They've got some young guys down below that are about a year away. Uh, but that the mistakes they're making now to lose are self-inflicted more than anything, and they really need to do simple better so you can evaluate where they are. Steve, let's try to evaluate one of the teams that spent so much money in the off season, and that's you know the Padres. I mean, San yeah. Diego spent as much as anybody. It would have spent more, you know, if Judge had been willing to to, to agree to a contract out there. How do you evaluate what they've done in the early part of the season? Uh, you think they're going to they're going to gel? Do you think that they're going to really challenge the Dodgers? How do you see that? Yeah, they're, right now, I mean, it's it's fun to spend money and everything, but in the short, you know, beginning of the season, they're, they're they get kind of banged up. You know, Joe Joe Musgrove uh, broke the toe, and then when he's right. coming back, he tried he fell in rehab and he kind of got slowed down a little bit more. Nothing major on the shoulder, but a little you know a little discomfort from falling. Joe Musgrove a lot. Their bullpen is missing, you know. Of course, Drew Pomeranz has been fighting to come back for a couple of years. Um, the other kid they got that uh, they signed to the extension, they're kind of their closers out. They're turning to Brent Honeywell um, to be one of their higher leverage relievers, which is a great story, but it just goes to show the kind of hole that they have, you know, getting getting the bridge from the starting pitcher over to uh, uh, Josh Hader. You know, it is it is great to see a kid like Ryan Weathers put all the work in and having success early in the year. But they really do need a couple of things. They need Joe Musgrove back, and they need Blake Snell to not just be good from June on, which is his, which is his thing now. April and May, Blake Snell is the most ordinary pitcher, bordering on awful, um, and he's doing it again this year. They need him to be the June Blake Snell that seems to wake up and become, you know, a great pitcher down, you know, for the final two to three months or whatever. Um, so right now they're just having a little bit of bullpen burnout because Snell can't go deep. They don't have Joe Musgrove to lean on uh, to get them the innings. So and I think you Darvish also was laid back a little bit to open the year. So they just need to get everybody back together and get that starting pitching um uh, in line and get their bullpen fixed up a little bit. Nothing major. They, they don't have any Tommy Johns or any long-term injuries right now. They just need to get healthy. I'm not worried about that offense. They they got another kid named Tatis Jr. who's eligible to come back on April 20th, and I'm sure he's going to bolster that uh, offense even more. Roger? Steve, I got a couple of questions uh, for you about the Phillies. Uh, you know, they obviously have gotten off to a uh, very uh, slow or poor start. And and I'm really uh, concerned because uh, you talk about injuries. They're waiting for Ranger Suarez uh, to come back. Uh, Aaron yeah. Nola has not been great. Uh, the uh, uh, the uh, the other um, the I heard today that uh, Painter is going to start to throw. You know, their number one 
prospect. Yeah. Uh, and then Derek Hall is on the IL. And they yeah. the other night when I was there, and I guess he was there today too, Roger Clemens' son, Cody's playing first base. And I don't even yeah. know whether he's had a hit yet, you know. And uh, so, I mean, they really are are hurting too. What do you, What's your opinion? Of, do you think that uh, they will turn it around, or do you think this is going to be a, a, a tough season? Well, you know, it's it, it's always tough, you know, following a a World Series loss. It's it, it's tough, but you know, the one thing uh, going for the Phillies is they went through this last year, you know, and they went mm-hmm. through a little bit of turmoil last year, and your manager over there and the vet, you know, the, the guys returning and everybody should be able to keep the glue together and be like, look, you know, we just, you know, going back to Joe Maddens, let's do, do simple better for ourselves in every game. The outcome might not be as favorable early in the year and it isn't, isn't right now, but let's not get into panic mode and try to do, do stuff that we're not capable of doing. And if they, if the experience of last year um, pays off, you should find some momentum as the year goes on this year. And I think they will, you know, simply because of, you know, guys like Aaron Nola should get stronger. Suarez should get back, you know, and you should get Bryce Harper back. As far as first base, I don't think Cody Clemens the answer, but it's very hard to pick <laughs> people up in April and May. Not well, we uh, talked about difficult. the Padres. Uh, we've always talked about the Dodgers because <laughs> they, they almost never lose. Uh, so let's let's go in that direction for a minute. Uh, can the Padres stay with the Dodgers and uh, and take them to the wire this year, or is the Dodgers going to take over again? You know, it, it, I love when you ask me about the Dodgers and Padres because those are the those are the two teams that I listen to at night. You know, when I go to bed, I still put the phone next to the bed and listen to Charlie <laughs> Steiner and Rick too. Monday or Jesse or Jesse <laughs> Agler and uh, Jesse Adler and uh uh, Tony Gwynn Jr., which, by the way, was great because Adler went to University of Miami and Tony Gwynn went to uh, uh, San, uh, San Diego State. So it was great during the NCAA tournament to listen to their broadcast. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I honestly believe, and, and this is me being non-analytical and non-numbers based and, and, and using something that I usually don't, but until San Diego dethrones uh, – the Dodgers by beating them in the regular season head to head. Um, I don't see them getting past the Dodgers until they do that. Um, you know, like last year they, you know, I, you know, last year they got by in the playoffs. The Padres did, but the Dodgers pretty much, you know, destroyed San Diego in the regular season. They have for a couple of years. Right. So what I would like, to, what I want to see is how San Diego handles the Dodgers in the head to head matchup, and this is me kind of taking a cap out to everything. If San Diego can take the Dodgers in the season series, I think they'll also take, that'll be an indication to me that they're going to take the division. If the Dodgers handle San Diego again, I think that it'll be, it'll be difficult for San Diego to uh, overtake the Dodgers. The Dodgers are like, like a lot of teams. They're waiting on Tony Gondolin uh, to get back. You know, he, he's been on the shelf and they're kind of waiting for him and get that starting pitching staff um, in order. They had a kid, Pepe Oaks, I think that's how you pronounce his name, um, just be slated to be the number five starter, um, and he got hurt. 
and and he's he's beginning his uh, rehab right now as well. Fun to see Jason Hayward, you know, uh, kind of having some power out there and and, and getting comfortable again. I, I always pull for guys that whose careers have gone a little bit south, and his certainly has. But uh, they're a fun team to watch, and hopefully um, we have a very good August and September and a lot of fun head-to-head Dodger and uh, Padre uh, matchups in front of us. Well, the one thing that managers always say is, let's get some head on. Let's get some head on. Well, the Rays are getting some head on. They're now up 8-3 to three in the bottom <laughs> of the fifth inning, and uh, uh, they're just taking the Red Sox to school. Roger, you're up. You know, getting back to that, that Jason Hayward, uh, Steve, I agree with you, and, and I've been a fan of his uh, – and uh, I know that uh, we all uh, remember when uh, I just saw a fan the other night with his uh, jersey, Dominic Brown, number nine, okay, made the oh, yeah. all-star team. Remember that early? And, and yes. Came up at the same time as Jason Hayward. And, boy, I'll tell you, look at the history of the two of them. Dominic Brown's been gone from baseball for a long time. But uh, they came up at the same time, and they expected big things of Dominic Brown. Well, you didn't get it, but you did get it from Jason Hayward, and he deserves all the credit he can get and the help. Oh, boy, I'm watching this uh, Rays game real quick, and the pitcher just hit Yandy Diaz uh, right. with the pitch. And now it looks like he's crying on the mound, the pitcher for arm injury. I think he just threw his arm out. I oh, think he, no. yeah, he, he went right to his knees and, and started to cry yeah. and and uh, went right down there. They were show, re-showing it right now and down on his haunches. And, uh, uh, I don't know whether he was just overcome by the fact that he hit him. Uh, it doesn't no, appear he, he wasn't grabbing a shoulder or an arm or anything. Uh, no, he grabbed the elbow. That, did he? he grabbed I, the I, elbow. Yeah, it just looked like he was just upset. Yeah, there he is. Yeah, he grabbed the elbow twice. He knows. I'm sorry, guys. Yeah, he knows right now that that his uh, season's over. Yeah, yeah. Is that on Valley Sports South or Southeast? Yeah, it's on well, the Valley Sports Sun down here. But correct, oh, okay. four, where I am is four hundred one. I don't know whether Steve, where you are, we're we're four hundred one. But uh, yeah. anyway, to make a long story short, uh, let's go to the piece de resistance. <laughs> the New York Yankees—they haven't gotten off to a brilliant start. Uh, they seem to have had everything come out of spring training, but unfortunately they lost pitchers, they lost everyday players, they lost, they've had a ton of injuries, and uh, it's showing up in the early go, the first 10, 15 games of the season. Yeah, there's a lot of people that would like to be 8-4 and four right now and, and overcome all those injuries. You know, uh, again, I, Cashman does a very nice job putting a roster together um, and and having enough excess pieces um, to to overcome things. Now, with that being said, I don't think anybody saw Johnny Brito's first two starts being as you know when he came into camp, he was an afterthought in terms of the major league roster. I don't want to say he was an afterthought in terms of the future, but coming into camp, he was pretty low down on the pecking order of who would get an opportunity to make starts in April. And he's had two very nice ones for New York and kind right. of really bolstered them um, when they need them. Early in the year, what can happen a lot of times, and, you know, you guys from Philly, 
uh, that are here, th- th- you'll know how this goes. If you have a couple clunkers from your starters that aren't stretched out, like in, in the case of Nola and uh, Wheeler back-to-back, and then you stress your bullpen, and then you have an injury, it could take 10 to 12 days early in the year uh, to get back in order, you know. And Johnny Brito kind of got the Yankees back in order after some clunkers. You know, he kind of went out there and said, okay, I got you for five or six innings. And when you have that guy that stabilizes things in the middle of a one of these uh, streaks and gets your team back as soon as possible to normal, it helps. And New York's had that luxury right now. They get a few good outings, like Garrett Cole's that guy and, Nest, uh, and Cortez is that guy. And then Brito's uh, chipped in. And it's really helped smooth smooth over a lot of the injuries that the Yankees have had to deal with. So, you know, as the weather warms up and they get more home games and stuff like that, I look for New York to take off because I do like their roster. Um, I'll tell you, I like their roster too. I'll tell you, they, I'll tell you who takes a, a lot of heat, and and I don't get it because a lot of teams would love to have him, and that's Aaron Hicks. You know, he's one of those guys. The main issue with Aaron Hicks is he was paid a contract to do, to perform at a certain level, and if he's not that guy, then you have to, you know, there's a malice towards him. There's an anger towards him. It happens in all sports, you know. The unfortunate thing about it, Steve, is his, his contract is so high they can't get rid of him. Right. So yeah, and everybody. Up, so they pick up the change. Yeah, and, and and like you say, forget the dollars for a minute. This is the Yankees. Aaron Hicks is a very serviceable uh, player to a guy like Aaron Boone, a switch hitter with a good arm that can play all three outfield positions and it can pinch run and, and pinch hit and give guys a day off and stuff. Uh, Jimmy Leland used to say that he liked to have his comfortable shoes on the roster, you know, and I think Aaron Hicks is a comfortable shoe for Aaron Boone. And well, we'll see what lot. happens. Steve, once again, terrific. We'll wait a month or so. We'll come back again, and we'll see what you can analyze for us at that point and see whether your analyzation so far has been on the target. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Steve, gentlemen. Just, Take uh, care. I'll let you know that uh, Cincinnati's up over the Braves, bottom of the three, uh, of the third inning, three two. There Beautiful. you go. Beautiful. Even the even the Braves are going to lose one once in a while. <laughs> All right. Thanks again. Really Take appreciate care, Steve. it, Steve. Appreciate We're going to jump it. over to an old friend of ours, a guy that I've worked with for 40 years, Tony Leodora. Uh He's got a regular television show that people get a chance to see around the country on Comcast, The Traveling Golfer. Uh, he's played over, I don't know, I think the last time I talked, it was almost a 1,000 golf courses in his travels. I know that he uh, had a great finger on the on the Masters this last weekend and what's happening between Leave and, uh, and the PGA Tour. So uh, let's bring them right on. And, and uh, Tony Leodora, nice to talk with you again. And we'll get to, before we let you go, we'll get to a couple of your uh, uh, assignments on the Frank Sinatra scene before you get out of here. But let's, let's start off with golf. Hey, Don, great to talk to you and, and the rest of the boys, as always. Uh, just uh, great to Fuck anybody who loves golf the week after the How match. many golf courses is it now, Tony, that you've played? 961, and uh, we're closing in on on that magic thousand number, which I'm trying to get done because I 
finally got a manuscript together and uh, working on the book that will come out after that, 1,000 Courses of Golf Writers Trail Through Life. So <laughs> it will finally be well, all the memoir. We'll look Tony, forward to that. Roger, you're up. imitated, never will be duplicated. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Roger. Boy, oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> you know, this is like this is like a, a reunion every time I do this show. You guys are absolutely great. But uh, I don't know about you. I'm still riding a high after Masters Sunday. Uh, it's, it's it's like a it's like a a new great story every every time, and John Rahm was was terrific this year, and and then there were a little a few side stories too, as always. I think uh, you know Mickelson. the biggest side story was that was that last round <laughs> that uh, you know the lefty played, and the fact that you know he, he made almost no 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 noise at all at the dinner, no noise at all in the early part of the tournament. But he threw together a round that he hasn't put together probably in five or six years on the final round. He had me standing up, standing up in my living room. I had a great friend and his wife drive in from Dripping Springs, Texas, where he has just recently retired to after a great career in the golf and hotel business. For nine years, he was the general manager at the Ritz-Carlton in Naples at Tiburon. And uh, among other assignments, he opened Dove Mountain, where they had the first match plays out in in uh, Arizona, all those things. So he retired, and he called me. He said, you know, I've been thinking about taking a little trip. We were going to hop in our big Ford Expedition and take a ride. We wanted to come out and visit you guys. He said, uh, after I started looking at the calendar, is there any chance you're going to be around Masters weekend? I said, I'm going to be here. He said, I can't imagine anybody that I would rather spend the weekend watching the Masters with. I said, you got the right guy. I'll be right in front of the TV. His name is Mike McCann. He grew up in Philadelphia. Interesting story. He, his parents pulled him out of high school his senior year, and they moved to California, and that's always a little traumatic for a kid. So he rebelled, uh, finished high school, and went out as a caddy on the PGA Tour. For wow. two years, <laughs> yeah, really quite amazing stories. Uh, he caddied pretty much for Frank Connor, who also was a tennis pro, tennis and golf pro, uh, for two years, and then finally said, "Okay, I got to go back to school." Went to college and and then had a tremendous career as an executive in the uh, hotel business, Fairmount, Ritz Carlton, all the high end ones. And uh, so we came and we spent four days watching the Masters, eating and drinking and having the time of our lives. And, and <laughs> the tournament didn't, it didn't disappoint. And you didn't have to walk. No, we didn't have to walk anywhere and do anything. Uh, and, and, of course, Phil didn't disappoint. I, I'm, I'm not kidding you. I couldn't sit in my seat. I had to stand and pace back and forth as he was making that run. And I, I just kept saying don't tell me the rest of these guys are going to go in reverse and we're going to have a playoff with Phil. And uh, But John Rahm was unshakable. And, yes, uh, he was. Yes, yes, he was. Couldn't happen to a nicer guy. Yeah, yeah. Glad and, 
I, I, I think the other, the other thing that uh, I have to bring up, too, which has really been discussed a lot more yesterday, well, the last couple of days, I, I, I didn't know that the number of tournaments that were uh, designated was 17. I didn't know it was 17. But Rory, uh, Rory said uh, because he backed out of this tournament, this week was one of the, is one of the designated tournaments. And uh, he said that was not explained too well uh, at the Masters meeting that they had. But that the players are very much opposed now to the the length uh, of the of the schedule that they have to play. I, I didn't think 17 was that bad, Tony. No. <laughs> yeah, we're making them work too hard. Uh, we're, making, we're making them play at, at uh, Hilton Head, <laughs> one of my favorite places in the world. Um, right. Yeah, yeah, they're they're they're. Uh, they're spoiled. I'll never forget a couple few years ago when a bunch of the guys, you know, they have the season opening event in Hawaii, which is only open to um, guys who have won a tournament the year before. And a couple of the guys who won the tournament didn't go out to Hawaii for the season. And it's guaranteed. Every, every one of them gets money. And I'm saying to myself, how spoiled are they? They don't want to make a trip to Hawaii in January. Right. And I, right. I actually talked to Rich Lerner about it. Rich, you know, from the Golf Channel, of course, uh, from right. Allentown, and a, an old friend that I played a lot of golf with over the years. And I said, Rich, how how spoiled are these guys? He said, beyond belief. Mm. Beyond belief. So, yeah, I was, yeah. I was you know, surprised because even Spieth, even Spieth was quoted today in the paper saying that, you know, he's going to amend his schedule because he just thought that he had played too much golf going into the Masters and that that affected his, uh, you know, his yeah. performance. Now, he still had a pretty good performance when he finished fourth, I think. And uh, But at the same time, uh, he felt that uh, he played too much golf. So I don't know well, what too much it, golf is. <laughs> I don't know. There was no such thing as too much golf for Jim Furyk. He played every tournament every week uh, all through and, the year and won a lot and, uh, you know, what, probably wasn't and still, the, still plays on the seniors. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah. probably wasn't yeah. the most talented guy, but he won a lot. So yeah, yeah had that special swing. Nobody else could duplicate it. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing, you got you got a young fellow from Germany. He's what about eighty years old now. He keeps playing every week. Every time you turn on <laughs> seniors, there he is again. Bernard Lundgren, yeah. about eighty years old. <laughs> uh, Don, yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Well, listen, before hey, we don't talk about us 80-year-old guys. That's you know? right. <laughs> before we get hey, Tony, I wanted Tom. to get back to the Masters. I wanted to yes. have one a personal note. Uh, have you played Augusta yourself? So that will be uh, chapter number 10 in the book. A thousand oh, courses. okay. And why I turned down playing Augusta twice. Really? It's a long story, too long for for us now, and, uh, and, and it'll be in detail there, but I'll give you the short version of it. It involves Fuzzy Zeller and alcohol. Okay. <laughs> and that's all I'll tell you. And, uh, <laughs> that's I turned the tease. Second time after I did, a wonderful old Southern woman, Martha Gay, who ran the press Able there said to me, son, I doubt that you'll ever be 
invited back to play. <laughs> like, okay, I understand. <laughs> well, you know, I'll tell you, the, the reason I, I – if anybody uh, had played that I know, and I do know, you know, several guys that have, but you were at the top of the list. The uh, I'm in the football foundation for many years, and I was over at the Athens uh, dinner several years ago, you know, of, the, of their uh, chapter. And, uh, uh, well, one of the uh, – Mike Tarico was the uh, MC, and he was with ESPN then. And right. I'll never forget, he said that what got him to come to do that was that he got to play Augusta. That was it, you know, and wow. I don't know whether they, you know, ESPN paid his way or whatever, or, you know, I, don't, I guess the chapter could have paid it, but you had, you know, all these guys that uh, you're familiar with that are, you know, the board, the members and everything else, a lot of them are in that Athens chapter. Uh, I mean, there's no doubt sure. about it, you know, because of the university. But I just, I've always wanted to ask you that, never had a chance because, I was I've been there twice. Uh once was in seventy three uh or seventy four and I was there for a practice round and we uh walked the whole course and I was yeah. just amazing and I was there another time with my nephew, but all we did was, you know, get inside and walk around a little bit because he's with Intersport and uh they have uh well there's a, a place that they own, Intersport does the owner. Uh, called the uh, double legal, and and they only he only opens it for the clients twice a year or once a year for two weeks, and people want to utilize it for wedding. It's right across the street from the entrance, so you have probably wow. seen it when you've been there. Yeah. And and I was in there, and you know, I mean, the clients, CBS, they're you know they're all in there, but uh, it's an interesting situation. And he got the name because he talked to somebody at the Masters, and, and that's how they came up with the double legal. Yeah. Well, Tony Lezor is our special guest here in this segment of the program. We're talking golf, obviously, and uh, we certainly can't talk about the Masters and the performance of uh, the difficulty of molding that second and third round and then finally getting to the, the fourth round on Sunday and completing and going. But uh, Tiger looked as though he talked about it before the tournament started that his days are – running short, and unfortunately, uh, with the weather conditions and everything else, the problem trying to get out of that sand trap, uh, it, it looks like he's correct. It looks like he's coming very close to the end of his uh, competitive days. What do you think? Yeah, probably. Um, you know, it, 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 it happens to everybody. We've seen it with, with all of the greats uh, as they come down to the end of the road. And, um, I, you know, I, I, I just hate when they – uh, overplay it over and over and over and over again. You see every shot, and uh, it's it's going to happen. It's going to happen. I, I, it takes away from a little bit the guys who are still performing. And right, um, and like I said, John Rahm des- deserves a lot, a lot of notoriety for what he did this week. He was rock solid, and to top everything else off, he's one of the best guys out there. Um, mm. in when they had the BMW championship, I think in, uh, 2019 at I went up for the pro-am day and he played with 
Jay Wright. Mm. So after the round, I Bill went over basketball talk. coach for those people uh, around the country that are not familiar with Jay Wright. Yeah, Jay Wright, uh, Villanova basketball coach at that time. And, uh, you know, I've had a great relationship with him. So we went up to talk a little bit after. He talk, he looked at, at me right in the eye. He said, Tony, I'm telling you right now, this is one of the greatest athlete people I've ever been with in my life. He is just an ace. And that, that's a pretty good recommendation from Jay Wright. So Absolutely. Um, Good, great I thought the other thing was, I don't know whether you saw his interview uh, when they canceled, when they had to cancel uh, round two because of the weather conditions and all, and he was interviewed, and, uh, you know, they were sort of trying to get him to talk about how bad everything was, and, hey, you, you, hey we play. That, we're supposed to, we're here to play. He, he, he wouldn't go along with anything about how bad it was or it was raining or it was cold or, or anything. He just said, we're here to play. I, you know, I... I can't worry about what uh, what the weather conditions are. I'm here to play. Yeah, that's a, that's a, a great point, and um, and I was thinking of it at one point during that day um, when they kept just complaining about how miserable it was, and I'm say, saying to myself, I played in the gap matches, Golf Association of Philadelphia Interclub Championships for like 24 years. And it's always right around that weekend, uh, three weeks of, of play. I've played in that kind of weather at, at least, if not every year, at least every other year for 24 years. So I don't want to hear it, and I did it for no money. So that's what, that's what it's about. It's a game of golf, and you go out and play. Roger, before we, get to, before we get to Tony's second, his second pro career, I'll let you finish out this segment, and then we'll go to entertainment special. Hey, listen, yeah. uh, knowing Tony as long as we've known him, and you've known him even longer, Don, uh, uh, Tony has been out in a lot of bad weather also covering local sports, okay? Yeah. <laughs> you know, when press boxes weren't luxurious like they are today and uh, high school games and everything else. So, uh, you know, he's been through it all. But the, the I agree with you, Tony, about uh, Rom. I I just thought, and I'm a novice, I admit it, but I was really impressed. Uh, he, the family man, the class act, everything he had to say, you can tell it's sincere. Dan, the tribute he paid to Seve Ballesteros. Uh, yeah, I think he's a pretty good guy and a, uh, a good one to hold up the the game of golf at a time when, you know, it's coming through. It's taking a few shots here and there. But, um, once again, the, the game itself cut through all of the distractions and gave us great entertainment. I always say it, it's about hitting the shots and putting that number on the card. I don't want to hear all the other stuff. Well, I'll tell you, it's, it, it, it's – <laughs> A, a tournament like none other, there's no question about that. Uh, not only the beauty of the perspective of the whole tournament, the anticipation, and the way it unfolds, it, it was really very and so so well managed and handled. It's, it's it's like a professional 1920s. I mean, everybody's so courteous, everybody's so well dressed. Everybody, the whole thing is is like America used to be 25 years ago, and. And it's just wonderful. But let's let's get to your second career because you are now <laughs> touring the southern parts of Florida, entertaining America by 
doing Frank Sinatra. Now, I've seen you personally, so I can say this, and I, have, I haven't seen the last few shows because I haven't been here. First of all, when is your next show before I go to the, the whole picture? Next show is next Saturday night, the uh, 22nd of April, from Key Resort, Mainland, right on Tamiami Trail. Chef Rolf, the famous TV chef, his restaurant. Uh, we'll be doing it poolside at the Tiki Bar, 530 to 830. I've done a number of shows there, and really a fun place to do it. You get some nice crowds there. And, and then I'm back there on Saturday, May 6th. So April 22nd, May 6th, there are the two there. And then I'm going to be up in Pennsylvania for a, a, a while, and I'll be doing some shows up there uh, during the end of May. As, as we also shoot some episodes of the Traveling Golfer television show, including a very special one from the historic Yingling Brewery, along with Dick Yingling, and then out at his club, the historic Donald Ross course, Schuylkill Country Club in Pottsville. So <laughs> that'll be interesting. Do you have any Roger. idea where you're going to be playing, uh, you know, when, uh, when you're up in the Philadelphia area? Yeah, uh, Cedarbrook Country Club uh, one night and another time at Flowertown Country Club, and they're working on one at Normandy Farm. Uh, they're all pretty oh, okay. close. Almost, almost yeah, they are off. close. They're all in Montgomery County. Yeah, yeah. I didn't, I didn't get the email for these ones coming up in the next couple of weeks, but I will. I know I'll get one in the next couple of days, but... I'll tell you, you've had a lot of fun doing it. It's one of those things that you enjoy. You enjoy the golf so much, but you found a second little niche there that you've really uh, had a great opportunity to, to uh, see a lot of the country and do a lot of shows. Well, I really do enjoy it, and the, and the people make it. You're sitting there and see somebody enjoying it so much, and they get up and they dance, and sometimes, you know, I had one couple came over to me uh, the, the last time I did it, and wife said, you know, that's the first time I was able to get my wife, my husband, up to dance with me in 20 years. Well, Tony Leodora, thank you so much for spending time with us. Give us those those last two dates right down here by the poolside before you go. Uh, April 22nd and May 6th, both Saturday nights at AC Key Resort, and Don, great talking to you, and Frank and Raj. Like I said, it's a reunion when I get together with you guys. Oh, it's the best. I'll tell you, Tony. I hope I get to see you soon. Take take care, partner. It's been great. Now, hold on a minute. A great idea. You be the lead with the Philly, uh, uh, what is it, the uh, orchestra. uh, Philly Pop. Joe Conklin at at the Park Casino. I think that would be a gem of your show. <laughs> All right. My agent, my new agent's working on it already. God bless you. Oh, good. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Take care, Tony. Thank you so much. All right, guys. Take care. Take care, Tony. Mike Simzak is next up. He's down in Baltimore, Maryland, a little bit further south than we are, although the Orioles are playing pretty darn well right now. But, uh, Mike, nice to have you with us. And uh, a little bit of soccer news uh, First of all, uh, uh, I guess the biggest story right now is uh, uh, the young lady on the women's uh, team, what, a propellant, uh, something with a knee anyway, that uh, uh, put her out of the, uh, uh, what, she's the wife of Fraser, the shortstop for the Chicago Cubs, right? 
Uh, yeah, I believe I know who you're talking about. Uh, Ma- so, are you talking uh, Mallory, Ma- Mallory Swanson? Swanson, that's that's that fresh for Swanson. That's correct. Yeah. And she was injured Saturday. And uh, how's that going to affect the team now? What, what's the situation there? Hello. Yeah. yeah. That, Mike, can you hear? Yeah, I can hear. I think I just lost. Um, I, I just lost Don. But yeah, Mar- yeah. Mar- she was injured in a um, in the friendly against uh, Ireland on uh, this, over the weekend. Uh, it right. looks like it's. Yeah, it's a torn, um, it's a torn patella tendon in the left knee. So it's definitely uh, the type of injury that'll put you out for a while, and and so she'll miss the World Cup. Uh, it's a pretty big blow for the, um, for for the U.S. Women's National Team. So uh, they're going to be looking for who they can. Um, what additions that, that they can make in the attack because uh, that's been an area of a little bit of, of concern for the United States. Um, beyond, uh, they're just, it's not a position where we have a ton of depth right now. So um, we wish her the best and we wish her a speedy recovery. And, you know, they've got a couple of months now to try and weigh out some options. Uh, for who's going to lead the line when we play our first games in um, in uh, Australia and New Zealand coming up in uh, this over the summer. Yeah, her husband's the uh, former uh, Brave shortstop that they decided right. not to uh, pursue. You know, he yeah. went free agency, signed with the Cubs. Mm-hmm. Dansby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the young ladies they brought up, Thompson, uh, she went to St. Louis this weekend. So they brought up two players now to uh, tentatively work with the squad to replace, uh, you know, Swanson and, and see whether they can put some kind of continuity together. They really have, uh, what, almost two months to put this team together, correct? Yeah. Um, you know, it, it might be Alyssa Thompson who comes up. Uh, we could see Megan Rapino come back. Um the big one would be to see if uh, Trinity Rodman, uh, Dennis's daughter, who's been lighting it up down here for the Washington Spirit, gets to uh, gets a chance to be at the um, the front, be the uh, lead forward for the U for the U.S. during the World Cup. She's a really great young talent, and so it would be a really exciting opportunity for her. All right, Roger. Maybe you want to go in a Mike. different direction. I just wanted to talk about her because she was injured over the weekend, and I. I, uh, I saw a lot of uh, video. I saw a lot of, uh, you know, stories about what, what was going to happen. So I wanted to see what Mike had to say. Go ahead, Roger. Oh, yeah. Well, well that's a big loss. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Uh, Mike, I was up in uh, Philadelphia for a week. And, uh, you know, so oh, I was so checking was up on the – Oh, were you really? The, well, yeah, I left. You know, the, go ahead. Yeah, I was up there for um, – I was up there uh, – Tuesday or what was it? Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and then I'll be up again uh, this weekend, real quick. It's the uh, 20th anniversary of the unit that I went to Iraq with. Oh, really? Yeah. So we're getting together at parks to uh, celebrate. Oh, well, great. Well, uh, enjoy it, you know. But uh, you know, I was checking up on the union, and uh, yeah, you know, they really be, seem to have some uh, some issues. And, uh, uh, I mean, the United's doing better than the Union. I mean, that's the bottom line. 
And, uh, you know, what do, what do you that think? They, can, go ahead. To say that they have some issues is putting it mildly. Um, the union have gotten off to a really rough, rough, rough start. And exactly. It's really hard to figure it out. I know that FC Cincinnati is a pretty good team, um, and that Brandon Vasquez is a really good striker. But, again, these are the types of games that they were winning last year. Um, on the one hand, they did have a relatively slow start to the season last year and were able to turn it on, and, you know, we know what happened. But the issue this year is that they didn't really – bring in a lot of new players. Now, that could be a good thing. That could be a bad thing because they did let some guys go um, and and had to make some roster moves, let some guys go because of contract situations and things like that. But it just doesn't seem like they're able to follow. um, They're firing on all, all cylinders. And you wouldn't expect this sort of issue with a unit that played a lot together last year. So, uh, Jim Curtin's really got to figure this out. You know, you can't necessarily, you won't necessarily lose the championship in February, March, and April. But if they get too far behind, you know, it's just going to make that road that much tougher. Right? All these points that you're missing out on right now are ones that you're not going to get a chance to get back. So they've got to go on a pretty decent run sometime soon. Uh, especially before we get into, you know, June, July, and the summer months where they'll again be playing without some of their important players who will be on uh, international duty. Yeah. I'll tell you also, uh, down in Washington, uh, your hockey team is trying to, <laughs> trying to put a lot of people out of the playoffs here in the last few days, the last few games. Uh, I know that uh, – uh, you know, you expect to get down there and, and have a chance to, to win. I know that the Islanders are trying to get in. The Rangers are in. The the, uh, the uh, Devils are in. Well, the the, uh, the Lightning are in good shape, but they took a terrible beating over the weekend in New York for both teams. Uh, the National Hockey League, uh, Mike, a little of your thought on Washington trying to try to keep people out. <laughs> well, I mean, it's the first time in eight years that they're not going to be in. Uh, they right. basically shut down a lot of the players. We know Oshie's out. Um, Ovechkin's been suffering from an undisclosed upper body injury. Um, but all of a sudden... That's that's pretty much um, standard for the National Hockey League, isn't it? Upper body injury. Hey, that's all they tell you. It's either <laughs> upper body or lower body. Yeah, um, right. So, <laughs> I mean, he could be suffering from a total body injury. I don't know, but whatever it is, they're not really playing right now. Um, you know, where was this when they needed it? Um, you know, I, the game against the Lightning, the, uh, the Islanders, they go and they score like two goals in the first couple of minutes of the game. And you you, you got to wonder, like, where was this a couple of weeks ago? Um, they're gonna do some and the Islanders had to win. I mean, they, they, yeah. they were in a position where losing that game uh, puts them in a terrible spot for the weekend. Yeah. It does, and so that was a big loss, and I don't know whether the Isles thought, you know, oh, the Caps are out of it. They're not playing a lot of their stars. We don't have to worry about Oshie. We don't have to worry about Ovechkin. This will be an easy one, and the Caps didn't roll over, or, you know, maybe LaViolette has been able to get through. you got a lot of young guys who are trying to play 
for um, their careers. But, you know, they only were dressing 17 skaters over the weekend because they've got so many with injuries, a really rough salary cap situation. So they didn't even have a full roster. And here they are pulling out these wins. Um, look, Peter Laviolette's basically coaching for his job down here. Um, contract negotiations, whatever that means, have stalled. We know that the uh, Capitals don't like to pay coaches. So I'm going to put him at 60-40 that they're going to be looking for a new head coach. Whether or not you believe that he's at fault for what happened this year um, is is a matter for discussion. But right. uh, they've got to figure out some issues with the salary cap. Somehow this team has to get younger over the offseason. They've got to make some moves to get younger because what we've seen is when they've been able to play with young guys, they've been successful. But when they go back, to relying on, you know, the likes of Nicholas Backstrom and T.J. Oshie and, to a certain extent, Alexander Ovechkin, and they play to those guys. They're slow, they're ponderous, and they're easily beaten. So, you know, getting some youth, getting some speed in the, into that lineup to buttress, and then dealing with the fact that they've got two of their big three core players who are just regularly injured in both in Oshie and Backstrom, and you don't know whether you're going to get even a half a season out of those two. So, uh, again, some important decisions to be made over the course of the next year, you know, if they expect to contend or if it's just all going to be for the next few years about whether or not Oshie can br- – or, I'm sorry, Ovechkin can break Gretzky's records. Right. Roger? What, the, uh, do you think he will, Mike? I think, you know, I was, like, doubtful. But these last couple of years, the the clip that he has been scoring at and the amount of, you know, his health, right, I know he missed some time this year because of of some minor injuries and then the extended absence for his – because of the depth of of his father. So this is going to be a low for, like, the last five years in games that he's played. Take out – that like almost a month that he's been back over in Russia, he's up there, so he's playing like 60, 70 games a season and still scoring at a 40 to 50 goal, you know, 40 plus, uh, around a 40 goal clip. You know, if that's what he needs to do to make this a race, and right. he just doesn't show signs of slowing down. Every year you expect. You know, oh, this is going to be the year. This is going to be the year. And he just keeps being able to do it. So, you know, I think it's going to be tough. I think it's going to be tight. I think it's going to be close, but I'm not putting it past him. Mike, and Zach, Mike our guest is always needs. on this segment. And uh, just quickly tell you, the Lightning, or the Lightning, the Rays, had a 6-1 to lead. They let that one get by. They had a 8-4 to, to uh, four lead. They let that go. It's now 8-7. to seven. Uh, the Rays trying to keep their unbeaten streak together to start the season. It's eight to seven in the bottom of the seventh inning uh, right now. Okay, let's go back to Mike. And uh, Mike is uh, your baseball team down there uh, is one of the teams they keep writing about in the newspapers, <laughs> along with the Oakland Athletics and the rest of them. They're really having trouble getting out from under the start. Well, this again is kind of what we expected from the Nats this season. Uh, there wasn't much there. The best case scenario was that you see pitchers like uh, Josiah Gray 
and Mackenzie Gore and young players like Abrams and Keeper Ruiz take some significant steps forward. Uh, Mackenzie Gore had, you know, decent start to the outing today. I don't know what his final line was. Uh, Josiah Gray has been inconsistent. And he Remember, he was the main trade piece in that one that sent Trey Turner and Matt Scherzer a couple of years ago to, to – um, the Dodgers, and he just kind of has really floundered. Um, you know, and Abrams and, and uh, Ruiz have had their struggles. Uh, this isn't a team that is going to challenge for much of anything. And as I said before, when we started talking about the season on opening day, if they lose, you know, if they lose less than 100 games this season, it's been a monumentally great season. If they can win, uh, if they're in that 50, the high 50s and wins, and so, you know, they're in between 100 and like 105 losses, I think that's actually a good season for them. Roger, we'll let you get the last question in before we go to Doug Hamilton and switch our attention to golf and baseball and football. Go ahead, Roger. Well, you know, the the, the Nats are in, uh, they've made a lot of bad moves, and they're in that category at the uh, the bottom of the uh, the deck, so to speak. But uh, I'll tell you, it's just amazing how a franchise, Mike, has deteriorated and allowed itself to deteriorate like they have, Uh, you know, and especially in a good-sized market. You know, uh, but what's the uh, before you go? What's the latest on the uh, TV situation? Has anything been resolved? Nothing's, nothing's developed there. They still have not gone to trial. We've been waiting for them to go to trial and settle this TV issue for about the last decade. So, what's a few more years in, be- in between friends? Um, yeah. I guess that. Well, Mike, thank you very much once again. We'll get together next week. A lot of things to talk about. Football will be coming up with the draft as well as uh, baseball and and, uh, soccer and the rest of the uh, things that you're on top of. So thank you very much once again, Mike. Have a great week, Mike. Right before before I duck out, I'm just going to say this and leave and let you decide. But uh, Jeff Bezos made it public today that he is not bidding on the Washington Commanders. So I'll talk to you all later, and we can discuss that. Oh, okay. That's All a big, right. That's that's a big point. That's an important uh, point. I'll tell you. Thanks, Mike. No question. Have Thank you very day. much, Mike. Let's switch gears now and get out of the Baltimore, Washington area again. Doug Hamilton, our PGA professional, and what a week of golf we saw at the Masters. What a scrummy <laughs> weather we saw at the Masters, yeah. and we talked to the to the uh, to our touring pro Tony Diodora and uh, all of. So uh, we're getting out to a real professional. Hmm. Doug, nice to have you with us. And let's start quickly about uh, before we uh, talk about some other things, uh, your observations on the Masters, some of your thoughts. Um, well, let's see. Um, I think it's still true that Augusta loves itself more than any, you know, body could possibly love themselves. Um, they really <laughs> do get a kick out of, you know, the show they put on and, and uh, their golf course and, what they uh, philanthropically do for the rest of the world um, and, you know, the gym dance and the music and, you know, what is it? Hello friends or whatever he says. I mean, just, you know, it's, Hello, that's pretty, yeah, it's pretty yeah. nauseating. I think for me, I think after all these years <laughs> because, you know, like it's like, it's the only tournament that exists on the planet, you know, and that's how they kind of promote themselves. Um, 
you know, so, but that's, you know, that's just a mere observation, I think, from my point of view, that being in the golf business, you see golf courses that really, you know, think that they do things uh, the way that things should be done and that they're, they're the standard of, you know, uh, whether it's operations or whatever. I mean, and really what it comes down to is the dollar bills that get spent, you know, and when, you know, you have a superintendent that's probably one of the best in the world and a chef that's probably one of the best in the world and you have all this money to spend, well, then, by golly, you're going to get a product that's pretty daggone good. Um, the interesting part about the Masters is, as we know, it's the only major that is hosted, you know, on the same golf course uh, every year. And, you know, by and large, that lends itself to um, a little bit different outcome, I think, you know, uh, when you talk about, other majors that rotate amongst golf courses that, you know, for instance, you know, Tiger Woods loves, you know, Royal St. whatever, and he has a better chance to win the Open, you know, the British Open this year or whatever, you know what I mean? So the Masters is one of those kind of golf courses where, you know, guys like Fred Couples have won and continually play well, um, even at, you know, an older age. So that, I think that's 63 the years old is 34 consecutive yeah. times he's made the cut. Unbelievable. Yep. I mean, that's the allure, I think, for uh, somebody like me who's watching the Masters is to see, um, you know, just uh, the Tom Watson, the uh, uh, the Gary Player, Jack Nicholas tee off, you know, and they, they really, in, in that sense, they really do a wonderful job of paying, uh, you know, reverence, if you will, to the past champions. I think that they do have a lot of nice and fun kind of celebrations with the winner picking, uh, the dinner, um, and just... Um, they, they went through when, when you auto, when, when you autograph flags for, uh, the fans, only the previous champion can find the middle of the flag where the Augusta thing is. So just kind of some neat things that they do, I think, which I think, um, is pretty cool. But to your point, yeah, the weather was lousy. I think you had a lot of situations with, uh, start stops. Um, you had, you know, poor conditions for, uh, for people to play in. You had, uh, guys like Roy McIlroy and Justin Thomas who missed the cut. Tiger kind of got it on the number, but then withdrew because it's just it's too hard for him to get around that golf course, um, you know, with with his ailments and and, and being wet and whatnot. So, um, you know, I don't know. I mean, you you still have the battle of the PGA versus the Live Tour, and you know, if you look at the leaderboard, you had Kepka up there, you had Phil Mickelson up there, you had some other guys uh, that represent that Live Tour. Um, you know, DeChambeau missed the cut. Uh, Kevin Na withdrew. Uh, Bubba Watson missed the cut. So, I mean, there's speculation on either side of, of that whole live tour thing, and I'm not sure uh, what the general consensus was of, of the players and how they felt about that and, and uh, maybe scuttlebutt that was heard, um, you know, in the locker room or on the practice tee or what have you. So, um, yeah. Roger? My, all I would say is, Doug, is that Don and I love the Masters because we love the old look, uh, the way people dress, the -hmm. way they carry themselves from years gone by, which we would like to turn back the clock to that. Well, But you're a young guy. That's... (laughs) Not not anymore, my friend, not anymore. Although... (laughs) I, I'm somewhere sandwiched in the middle, which I think is is, is probably going to be um, the breath that I spend, you know, explaining this. But you know, golf is, you know, in large part a sport, if you will, of tradition. 
and um, it's time honored. You have a lot of things that get passed down from, you know, different generations. You have certain etiquettes that are involved. You have, um, you know, guys that dress certain ways and wear certain things. But you also have a, you know, young guard, if you will, that's that's wearing their clothes maybe a little tighter. Or their, you know, joggers are now in style, and and. Um, you know, there's a lot of different things, trend, you know, trend-wise and fashion-wise that are more fashion-forward that aren't really befitting of the, the customs, if you will, of Augusta. Um, but nonetheless, they're still going to be sported there. I mean, remember, you know, Tiger Woods wearing the mock uh, short sleeve that was a big deal and, um, you know, you know, just lots of those different things. And, and I think we see that, at least from my side, the, um, you know, the debate has always been at the – you know, PGA kind of club professional level, um, you know, can we wear shorts to play in tournaments? And that's been a debate for, geez, I'd say the last 10 plus years um, from different meetings that I've attended to that, that you have your traditionalists that believe that pants still should be worn to signify that that guy is the PGA professional. And then you have, you know, guys on the other side that say, you know what, buddy, I appreciate that, but it's 100 degrees and I think shorts is probably the way to go. So I think I lean more towards um, – I appreciate the traditions, and I think if that fits who you are, then, then I think you should probably go ahead and do it. But I think I maybe deviate just a little bit from that, um, not necessarily non-traditional, but somewhere I think residing in the middle of that. Doug, let me ask you this. We talked about this a little bit with Tony Leodorus a couple of mm-hmm. segments back. Uh, first of all, I didn't realize it was 17 – there were designated tournaments that uh, you know you you pretty much had to play in. Uh, now uh, Rory backed out of this one this weekend, mm-hmm. which is one of the designated. And yep. uh, he said he said that and speaks and they had uh, meetings at the Masters and then they had meetings afterwards uh, that they think it's too many. Uh, that mm-hmm. uh, Spieth said that he uh, played too much golf and he thought that yep. that hurt him when he came to the Masters. That uh, the concentration level and only a 17 is said he thinks is is far too many, and then of course you play whatever yeah. number of tournaments outside of those 17 that you want to. Uh, your sure. thought on that? You, you're in the game. You you you're a pro. Yeah. You know what the, what they do. Um, you know I think that um, look, I mean for even from. Um, a club professional side, uh, there are times where you have to um, be present, show face, um, you know, play golf in uh, pro-ams with uh, varying levels of of amateurs. Um, You know, there's charitable work, there's different things that, um, you know, involve your time that's pretty well spoken for anyway. Um, So, you know, to some degree, you know, those guys are, are, you know, pot committed, if you will, to doing many of the things I just mentioned, in addition to, you know, to be a a PGA Tour, you know, consistent player, um, we're talking about a guy like Jordan Spieth. I mean, how many hours a day do you think he spends, you know, training slash practicing slash playing slash, you know, whatever? Um, You know, it's, it's, I mean, and look, and I'm not going to sit here and poor mouth those guys because, you know, John Rahm just won three mil, you know, so, um, you know, if you get to the top of that heap and you, you're a consistent player and you, you're making cuts and you're doing those things, I mean, you're making really good money. Um, you know, 
there's, you know, guys of, of today that have won a handful of tournaments that, you know, have won more money than guys like Jack Nicklaus have in his career. So, I mean, I, but do you I, think I it should be mandatory that they play in those 17 events, or do you think they should have the option of saying, you know, I'd well, like to, maybe like to back out this week, like Rory sure. did, uh, without any objection? Yeah. Said that. Well, I mean, you're, you're talking about an entity in the PGA Tour who wants to to pull the strings of the puppet to make the, as much money as they can. I mean, this would be a, um, a tangential uh, conversation that you and I could have, suggesting that why does the NFL put people on TV from on Thursday nights on a short week? Well, they do it for the money. So, I mean, they're you know you know guys that are fans that are paying money want to go see Roy McIlroy. They want to see Jordan Spieth. They want to see Tiger Woods. Right. You know, so they they want to have some level of control as to as to when they get the opportunity to see them. Um, you know, if you let that kind of go as it may, you know, you would have guys that would say, well, why the hell would I want to go to Dubuque, Iowa to play in the Flamingo Open or, you know what I mean, whatever, um, you know, and and then that would probably do what? If that, that tournament would dry up because no one would want to go see it because no one wants to play in it, right? So right, right. Um, yeah, there's arguments, I think, on both sides of it. Um, and I think that, you know, you get what you get. I mean, you sign up and you make you know, the PGA tour and, you know, these are our rules and this is how we play it, you know? So, I mean, do I I'm, think it's, I'm with you. I don't, I mean, I, yeah. I just think that you're right. I believe it. These are the rules. This is what you signed up for. This is right. what you should do. Roger, you're up. For sure. Well, I agree with that. And uh, what, I don't know whether you heard earlier in the show when Tony was on Doug, but um, I did not know. Okay. The, uh, the consensus of all of us is they're spoiled. And right. uh, it's, it, but it's like that with all professional athletes or professional sure. sports, not all professional athletes. But right. uh, as uh, Tony had said, uh, he played in a uh, golf tournament uh, with uh, Jay Wright and, mm-hmm. uh, and Rob a couple of years ago in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And Jay Wright said he was the classiest a- a professional mm-hmm. athlete he had ever met. Well, so, I'll uh, tell, that, you, that, I'll tell you a lot. stories. Um, when I when I was at Hayfields Country Club um, for the first two seasons I was there, we actually had the Champions Tour, um, and I don't know if, I don't recall whether it was the first or second year, but um, Scott Hoke, if you remember him from the PGA Tour, yes. was um, I, I don't know if he was a rookie that year or, or had just been a newbie, so to speak, um, and at the time. Uh, we had on the back side of our golf shop, there was like a little kind of holding room, if you will, that the caddies all uh, would uh, put the, the, you know, their, their tour players bags back there. And then we would lock that and secure it. And mm-hmm. I happened to open the back door to that room and Scott Hoke was in there and he obviously didn't know that I was going to open the door and he was mid sentence. And he said, boy, you know, this place certainly isn't like, you know, most places on tour, you know, I can't even get a so-and-so and a so-and-so, you know what I mean? So, you know, these guys are, are pretty spoiled, as you mentioned. I mean, they, they believe in, in, in certain conditions and exemptions and, uh, you know, things that, that make their life easier uh, by and large. So, um, you know, I don't know. I mean, there's a part of me that suggests that uh, they've played golf for a very long time and achieved a pretty high level of doing so. And I guess there are certain things that come with that, you know, um, you know, well, let's, let's jump quickly because I want to, before you run out the door, honestly, yeah. your Ravens of science, one of the most controversial wide receivers you're ever going to find. 
So, uh, yeah. it, you know, they've, they've signed Jackson to that guaranteed contract that he had. To, uh, they pulled the option on that. Uh, so it looks like it's uh, they're gonna, Jackson's going to be right there. Your thoughts about that one, first of all, before we go to the Baltimore Orioles? Um, well, I mean, I think that the first thing that needs to happen is that the – I mean, the uh, uh, Lamar Jackson scenario needs to be solidified as a long-term contract so that we can start – really fooling with uh, some of the salary cap. Um, you know, the Ravens receiver room has been um, poor for the last several years. Um, you know, they went out and signed Nelson Aguilar, and, you know, the talk on the on the street was that that was stupid. You know, why did we do that? That's not an upgrade. You know, now you go out and you get a guy like Odell Beckham who could be a difference maker. Um, what people don't understand is, the $15 million that they signed him to in terms of the guaranteed contract includes four void years, if you will. Um, and so that basically spreads his $13.8 million signing bonus out amongst 40, uh, five years. Um, so his salary cap number this year will be right around $3 million, which is very palatable. Um, you know, I think Todd Munkin uh, had uh, Odell Beckham in Cleveland when he was the OC there, and I think he really likes him. I think that Lamar recruited Odell Beckham, and I think that that's, you know, that's fine. Um, that means he wants to be here. And so um, we'll see what happens. I mean, I think that our wide receiver room is better this year at this point than it was last year, and we'll see what happens uh, moving forward with any other additions they can make. Roger? Well, you know, Nelson Aguilar uh, had some issues with the Eagles. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like probably uh, overrated – uh, coming mm-hmm. out of the draft, and sure. yet he was a big contributor in that Super Bowl year. Yeah, and well. and I saw, I mean, I saw some m- marginal games with the Pats, but I also saw some pretty good games with them. Mm-hmm. So I don't necessarily feel that that is a a bad move uh, to get him as because he's a slot receiver. That's where he really. Excels, and uh, you know this could all. And then with uh, uh, Beckham, I mean, this might turn into a pretty good uh, cadre of uh, receivers. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think Aguilar is going to play a role that's uh, significant of some of the receivers they've had in the past. Your Willie Sneeds, your Anquan Boldens, your you know guys like that that were more chain movers um, and possession type receivers. I mean, obviously. Odell Beckham is a field stretcher. Um, Devin Duvernay's kind of falls into the same category, and then you throw in a Rashad Bateman. But the big thing with him one. is, is uh, you know, he's got to stay healthy. That that you know, he well, doesn't he you know he only plays ten or eleven games yeah. a year, and then he's out. Yeah. So it's a matter mm-hmm. of can he stay healthy long sure. enough to help well, help Jackson out? That is the question. I mean, I don't know that. I mean, based on his injury history, that's a fair question, but I believe that's a fair question of most people that play in the NFL, even Lamar Jackson for that matter. How about J.K. Dobbins? How about guys that have been on the shelf, um, you know, for, for previous seasons? Gus Edwards tore his ACL. I mean, all those guys. So, you know, I mean, that's that really is the key. I mean, can we keep these guys on the field? Can we keep them healthy? Can we keep them happy in terms of, you know, passes that we throw and the offense that we run? Um, you know, it all remains to be seen, but I'm um, Certainly looking forward to uh, the draft uh, for the Ravens, although they only have five picks. We'll see what they can do. Pull a couple rabbits out of their hat there, and then and then uh, hopefully they get the, the Lamar Jackson thing ironed out and, and be able to, you know, backfill their team with any monies they have left over. Before you run out of time, how about the Orioles? Well, they were 
doing okay here tonight. It looks like it's, it's now 7-4 uh, in favor of Oakland. I'm not sure exactly what happened while we were on the phone here, but apparently we had a problem here this last inning or so. Um, you know, I think it's been a, a, a pretty okay start for the Orioles. I believe that they have some, some pitchers that, um, you know, really haven't thrown the ball very well. I mean, Dean Kramer, for his third consecutive start here, has had some issues finding the strike zone and giving up runs. I think uh, Cole Irvin hasn't looked very good, the guy they got from Oakland. Um, you know, I think that um, Kyle Gibson was a nice addition as a as a 3 and a start uh, to the season. Um, Grayson Rodriguez pitched the other day. He's now made two major league starts. And I'll be honest with you, I think he has really good stuff. He throws the ball hard. He's in the mid to upper 90s. But I'm I'm really not impressed with um, what he's looked like so far. Um, for them to tout him as the number one pitching prospect in, in the minors and in baseball, I think is – you know, a little bit too soon. Um, he has his breaking stuff is good enough to change the eye level. It's good enough to change the speed. But he, I mean, he had like 16 two-strike counts the other night, and only he struck out six people. And I mean, he gave up five runs. So he doesn't have a, a bona fide out pitch. Um, his breaking balls aren't aren't sharp. Uh, they don't start in the strike zone and move out. Um, you know, and he's throwing a lot of fastballs. And sooner or later, that's I mean, even if they dink and dunk you, they're going to get you. So I'm. Um, there's reason for concern, I think, but their offense looks pretty good, um, you know, and if they lose this game tonight, they'll still be 500, and it's a long season, so we'll see. Roger? Well, the I think uh, they're really on, on the right path, That I think it's going to be a fun team to watch. And, oh, of course, I used to enjoy watching them, you know, when back in the, uh, in the day, back in the early 80s, late 70s, even in the middle, mid-80s. Uh, 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 they were fun to, fun time to go to. I loved it to go to Memorial Stadium and the high school across the street. Yeah. And, you know, it was uh, – and then even at the, uh, uh, you know, it's at the uh, at, at the Camden Yards. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it just was was a fun time. So I'm glad that they're, they're back uh, on the right track. They're- they're definitely fun to watch. They have their antics with, you know, turning on the sprinklers here when they get certain hits and the homer hose and all these different things. You know, last year they had the home run chain. And you can tell that, that the vibe on the field in, in, in that dugout is is, um, is special. It's different. There's a, a really good solid gelling of these guys, young guys and, and, and older, that really enjoy playing the game, really enjoy each other. Um you know, and, and they're fun to watch. They really are. I mean, last night was fabulous. I mean, like TV, when they when they went down to Ryan Mountcastle hitting the grand slam and, you know, kind of flipping the bird to the TV saying, there you go, take that. You know what I mean? So, I mean, it's, you know, they break your heart, and then one night and then the next night, it's, it's nothing but fun. So, um, it, it'll be a long season, you know, and I, I think they'll get some of this ironed out, I believe, with their defense and pitching and, um, you know, some of the players that, that are going to stay there. Um, but by and large, they're tremendously fun to watch, and I think there's an awful lot of reason for optimism here in Baltimore with the Orioles. How are the crowds, Doug? Sporadic. You went to opening um, day, right? Yeah, I did. The, the opening day was, was pretty full. Um, you know, but the last two nights, if you watch, I've watched it on TV. There's, you know, there's not a button every seat, uh, so I'm not really sure, you know what I mean, what's what's happening there, whether it's just a – microcosm of, of people going on spring break or it's a midweek game or it's, I mean, I actually like the 635 start times much better than 705 or 735 myself. Yeah, but, Philly's the 
640. You know, uh, to, yeah, and uh, uh, I think it's uh, really good too. All agree. the teams have moved the sorry times up because, uh, and I think it's very good because the games are mm-hmm. played so quickly now that uh, yeah. they had the average in over the weekend a little bit better than 30 minutes a game have been cut off. Right. So if you're, uh, you know, you're going to work the next day, and they start the yeah. game at six o'clock and the game is over at eight thirty, hey, you know, that's. You're in great shape. You, you, whereas if it's over yeah. 11 o'clock or 11.30, by the time you get home, it's 12 o'clock. I, mm-hmm. I think they've made – the rules they've made, I think, this year have just been Agreed. so well executed. It's unbelievable to well, me how good it is. Plus, they were they were running some specials here at Camden Yards that had $10 uh, bleacher seats. I mean, so, you know, I mean, I'll I tell you what. When we went down to, to opening day, I went through Boog's Barbecue, and we all had a bite to eat there. And I happen to look at the menu. One beer, one, is eleven dollars and fifty cents. And I looked at that and thought, Are you kidding me? Like that's mm-hmm. golly days, it's been a while since I've been to Camden, but damn, that's that's more than highway robbery. I mean you can buy a whole bag of case <laughs> of beer for you know, not much more than that. Hey, that's listen, why people uh, come from New York to see the Yankees, why they come to Baltimore and Philadelphia. <laughs> that's right. the only place they can afford to see them play. Right. Well, last night at the uh, Phillies game, they had the dollar uh, hot dog, and that packs them. Yeah. They had almost forty-five thousand there last night. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, the the other thing is about the beer. We've talked about this at golf tournaments, and we got to hold it right there, Roger, because we're out of yeah. time. Doug, thank you once again. Uh, another great night. Our executive mm-hmm. producer Frank Carroll standing by. Roger, of course, Roy in Tampa. Thanks to everybody for being with us tonight. Executive producer Frank Carroll, take it over. Have a great week. Thanks, Carroll. Mr. Carroll, Commander Carroll, (laughs) God bless. Ladies and gentlemen, these programs are brought to you each and every night of the week in grateful appreciation. The men with the United States Armed Forces and the men with the Police and Fire Services, as well as the first responders and the doctors of COVID. These programs are dedicated to those who have lost their lives in line of duty. Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman Jeffrey Colcutt, Patrolman David Curtis, Patrolman Jeffrey Yazis, Sergeant Thomas Spanger, Detective Randy Bell, Detective Ricky Childers, San Diego Officer Mike Kendler, Sergeant Tom Wilson, Charlotte County Sheriff's Department, Patrolman Charlie Connors, Tarpon Springs Police Department, Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department, Lieutenant Joyce Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department, Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Police Department, Sergeant Chris Lake, Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department, Patrol Officer Plonopper Crispin, Lakeland PD, Lieutenant Joe Zerba, Newcastle County Police, Deputy Josh Meyer, Nassau County Sheriff's Department, Captain Matt Letourneau, Philadelphia Fire Department, Captain Chris Leach, Wilmington Fire Department, Lieutenant Artis Hope, Wilmington Fire Department, Lieutenant Jerry Fikers, Wilmington Fire Department, Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol, Trooper Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol, Chief Al Hogle, Longwood Key Police Department, Chief Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department, Deputy Mike Hargrove, Pinellas County Sheriff's Department. Deputy Blaine Lane, Polk County Sheriff's Department. Deputy Chris Meyer, Polk County Sheriff's Department. And Sergeant uh, Christopher Fitzgerald, Philadelphia Sheriff's Office, as well as Temple Police Department. My brothers and sisters, although you may be 10-7 at this point in time, at some time will be 10-10 at the table of the Lord. Until that time, may the rose rise up to meet you. May the winds be always at your back. May the rains fall softly in your fields. May the sun shine lightly on your face. Till we meet again, 
May the good Lord keep you and your family always in the hollow of his hand. Good night. God bless. And have a great day. Great weekend. Shemalek Mahilama Shemahezahilma Sona Shenevorat Fet
County dispatched in 1999. County dispatched in 1999. County dispatched in 1999. All units be advised 1999 is responded to his last emergency. May God rest his soul. Good night, Bob. We love you and we miss you.